1: For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
0: This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Kristen McCabe of Charlton, New York. Kristen will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com.
2: I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Suzanne Serretta. And these are their stories
3: You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did lie in order lie in order lie in order It's no ordinary police procedural, baby It's the F.N.O.G. of
1: police procedures, baby Lie in order lie in order lie in order These are their stories These are their stories
2: <laughs> Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at The Mothership, Law & Order, Season 9, Episode 10, Hate.
3: Isn't it a fact, Mr. Willis, that you teach young people to hate? No. I tell them what can be done to eliminate hatred between the races. By eliminating the other
2: races? Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcast, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. Thank you for having me. And rounding out the panel is our special guest from the CULIPS Everyday English podcast. It's our good friend, Suzanne Serretta. Hello, Suzanne. Hello, guys.
4: It's an honor. This is like I am just honored to be here, really. And to talk about. You should
2: not be honored. We're honored to have
4: you. We're honored to have you. (laughs) Every time we get to interact with you, it's an honor. I I was like, I just need to prepare some really fun accents for you. That I I almost came came on saying like, you know what? I'm just going to talk like this. And you're going to be like, oh, okay. And I'm like, no, no, (laughs) this is my real voice. You didn't know that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of your jobs is you are the accent guru. You help people work on minimizing or affecting a regional dialect. So let's hear your New York 27th precinct accent. <laughs> Very specific part of New York. Do you have that?
4: Yeah, you know, I feel like it's sort of like this. Like, uh, where you know, where'd he go? Like, where do you put them over there We put them over here? <laughs> <I feel>
2: like... <laughs> it's pretty good. Not yeah, bad. Yeah. Uh, well, Rebecca, did you know that Suzanne was in an episode of Law & Order? Shut the front door. I did not. Yeah, not this one. Okay. But oh you have to go back to season 16 episode 22 sport of kings i didn't realize i have the clip (laughs) i have the clip no way uh yes this is suzanne talking (laughs) to dennis farina and michael imperioli did you actually see anything miss A, a dead man on
4: the sidewalk
2: well i'm afraid that's not much help
4: it's not my fault i've lived on this block for two years it seems like the cops are here every other night why is that it's mostly because of that bar down the street.
1: El oh, Gato Rojo.
4: There are fights there all the time. Men hanging out on the sidewalk at all hours. It really should close that place down.
2: Yeah, it should close that place down. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Yay!
5: Yeah! yeah
4: Where was the New York accent in that? Oh my gosh. Well, what's so funny about that is that, like, f- a couple of things. First of all, I'm from Brooklyn. Like I'm, fr- I was uh-huh. born in New York City, right? But then I had yeah. to like play the gentrification of New York City, ah, which is right. really funny. But also, I kind of also related to that because I moved back after college, and I was like, you know, in Williamsburg, you live near a bar called
2: the uh, the Red Cat in Spanish, <laughs> totally. <laughs>
4: Yeah, and I wore all of the things that I had on in that episode. I wore it to the audition, and then when they booked me, they were like, can you wear your
2: clothes?
4: (laughs) I was like, did you book me because of my clothes? But (laughs) I don't know. Hey,
2: whatever works. So she got to work with uh, not only Dennis uh, Farina, but Michael Imperioli, who has the record for the shortest stint Mm. as a Law & Order detective, so, Suzanne, you were only on four fewer episodes than
5: That's
4: true. Michael Imperioli. He's awesome, by the way. They were nice to you? He was amazing. Yeah. Well, actually, Dennis Farina was not nice to me. He was really, uh. maybe he was having a really bad night, but he was mean. He was just like He's rolling his eyes. He's no longer with us, so it's okay. You can say whatever you uh, want about him. I don't like to talk bad of the dead, but he <laughs> he definitely was just, you know, he wanted to get it over with um yeah. yeah which i get i get they i mean they're you know i'm like actress number 450 like you know 20 something year old and anyway my, but michael imperioli was so nice he's like asking me what things i've done before can he come see me in a play i was like yeah okay yeah sure i am doing a play so it was really nice he oh. was interested yeah. in my career and i thought that was was cool. he yeah. Was
2: it just the career or was it the audition close?
4: (laughs) Or maybe because my last name is Saretta, you know, he was
0: like,
2: (laughs) yeah, it could be, it could be. Well, after hearing that, I don't think the answer is going to be Fontana and Falco, but I will ask of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law
3: and order detective team.
4: Orbach and uh, Martin, the, I think they're, oh yeah, Briscoe and and Green. Green. Yeah, I just—I yeah. li- just think they're—I just like their energy. I just think they're nice people. They're funny. They got swagger.
2: Just think, Rebecca, if Jesse L. Martin had not gone back. To do rent yeah. the movie, yep. yeah. she would have been working with uh yeah, I him. I know. And how would you describe him? Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs>
5: totally.
4: Oh my gosh. I probably would have forgotten Ooh. my lines. <laughs>
2: yeah, he's gorgeous. Oh, and he would and, and freedom would have rolled his eyes all the way back to his head. Yeah. Yep. yep. And who is your favorite <laughs> prosecutorial team?
4: Favorite line order district attorney prosecutorial
2: team.
4: Okay, you guys might think I'm a little weird about this, but I really love I love McCoy, a- Angie, Harmon, so yeah. Carmichael, yeah. and yeah. Wiest, and Weest, like when they were Diane the Weiss. three of them. Oh.
5: Yeah, I like Diane Weest too. Actually, those are three of my favorites. I love Angie Harmon, Abby Carmichael. I've said that many times on the show. She's one of my favorites. But favorite she
2: just bosses. killed off Schiff and put in- Listen. Okay.
5: Diane Weest was a hippie. We all love that.
2: All right, it's fine. <laughs> all right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, Law and Order Season 9, Episode 10, Hate. So, uplifting. So, we start with a couple getting engaged in Central Park, <laughs> and that's when they spot a woman hanging from a tree. Oh, no, that's bad luck for the wedding day. <laughs> oh, but mean. she's still alive, so that's good luck. But she dies on the way of the hospital. Oh, no, that's bad luck. Drag marks leading up to the
3: tree. This pipe here has blood and hair on it. Same deal with a stick. Or bruises all over her body. They hung her up and beat her like a piñata. Very festive. They went one better. They counted a dozen rocks with traces of blood. Festive and biblical.
2: Briscoe and Curtis trace a pen light on the unidentified girl's key ring to a print shop and learn their victim was the print shop owner's daughter. Christina Osborne's knapsack was found in a dumpster next to a travel agency. Remember those? Mm, Right. The bag contained... CDs. Remember those? Yeah. (laughs) And some toothpaste. Where was she going? Her friend Lori shows the detectives a flyer for a weekend party on a Pennsylvania farm her friends were taking her to. And she was just too sweet and innocent to recognize all the white power symbols on the invitation. Using his print shop superpowers, Mr. Osborne recognizes the stock paper and deduces the ream must have been stolen by his young employee, Jessica. Jessica says she spent all weekend with her boyfriend, Derek, a nice kid who drives a black van covered in Nazi iconography. Mm. Briscoe and Curtis get a warrant for the van, and they can prove it was in Pennsylvania because of a very rare dead moth stuck to the grill. (laughs) The detectives head to the farm and arrest Christina's four friends. They decide to take a later train to New York so they can grill the Hitler youth. Peter Steinman says they all hoisted Christina in a tree while Derek struck her with a pipe. Back in New York, his defense attorney gets the interrogation thrown out on a technicality. Needing a new lead, the detectives learn Jessica purchased a choke chain, just like the one found on Christina. She admits the teens attacked Christina because she was going to rat them out to her father, and that Tom Willis, the local Nazi party master, said that they had to kill white traitors. Now, McCoy wants to go after Willis for inciting the teenagers to commit murder, an undercover cop can't get Willis to incriminate himself, but he does come back to the 27 with a bunch of videos of Willis's past white power speeches. In one of them, Willis is seen telling Derek and the crowd to go and kill the K's and the N's and the F's. <sighs> Carmichael says it's not enough, and they have to turn Willis loose. Okay, we start with Tino getting ready to propose to Cecilia, and he does so by planting the box with the diamond ring next to a park bench and pretending to find it.
1: You keep it.
5: We can't do that. It's somebody's work. Tino, you're crazy.
1: I love you, Cecilia, and I want you in my life.
4: <laughs>
5: oh, my God, Tino. Oh, my God.
2: That is a surefire way to have someone steal your diamond <laughs> ring. No, it's not. To just stick it. Why doesn't he have it in his pocket? Is he afraid she's going to frisk him?
5: Okay. So I just want to point something out to you. The series of coincidences that would have to happen for that ring to be stolen is extraordinary. Somebody would have to be walking by that already is a thief-minded person. All the way up in that woodsy part of the park. You mean like Tino? What? No, Tino's not thief minded he
2: he pretended he was no he
5: put the ring there oh whatever he put the ring there okay second they would have to like be actively looking behind a you know a thing behind a park bench right they'd have to see the box they'd have to want to open the box then they'd have to assume that the thing was there's like so too many coincidences for sure I mean, I think I feel like someone would probably
4: spot the hanging dead girl first before they <laughs> yeah. would spot the actual ring, you know, in a box under like some leaves. <laughs> yes. The, the
5: leaf colored box under
2: right. some leaves. Well, you would right. think so. But Tino planted that box there. Didn't see the body the first time. dude. It's so
5: romantic, though. Yes. Right. <laughs> I mean,
4: what do you do after you've been proposed to and you're like, there's a hanging girl.
2: On the tree? Is this- that going
5: to be a speech at the wedding? Like, oh, is that going to be part of the toast? Right. right.
2: Yeah. Remember when... We were going to get a pinata for this wedding, but not anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I know Christina was young and impressionable, yeah. but she actually sent a flyer to her Jewish friend saying, come meet me at this Hitler Youth Party in the middle of nowhere.
0: Hmm. I couldn't believe it. She didn't have a clue.
3: A clue about what?
0: That's what
3: she sent me. Nuremberg, Pennsylvania.
0: I told her I wouldn't go. I'm
2: Jewish.
5: The French shouldn't have to be Jewish for that to not to be not to be clear. right. Just <laughs> say. Yeah.
2: Just to underline the yeah, point.
5: It, that was a little yeah. awkward. Yeah. I mean, just Suzanne, I, you're, I don't know if you're Jewish or not, but I would not send no. you that fly.
4: <laughs> no, I'm I'm Italian Catholic from Brooklyn. You know, where's the dog? But honestly, <laughs> I agree. I mean, I was just kind of like, that was just like a random tidbit that they threw in there just to like up the stakes, up the stakes.
2: Yeah, she had to put that in the mail, right? <laughs> Look at this. Couldn't tell her on the phone. Here's the flyer. It
5: was before Skype. It's
2: before Skype. <laughs> before Zoom. She wasn't yeah.
5: like, hey, she wasn't like FaceTiming her, right? It
2: wasn't before the internet. She could have looked up what that Iron Cross meant. <laughs> <laughs> oh. God damn.
5: It literally said Hitler Youth on it.
2: I know. It what did like, she think? It
5: wasn't coded oh. language.
2: It wasn't like dark. Heritage Month. Yeah. that.
5: It wasn't like Tiki Torch Bonanza or anything no, it wasn't like, that. like that.
2: Brown shirt party. It, it didn't say yeah. that. It
5: literally
0: right. said Hitler no. Youth. Right. No. Yeah.
2: Not at None all. Of that. <laughs> Well, because we're led to believe there's only one black van with white power symbols on it in all of New York, mm. <laughs> that they're able to get a warrant, and that's when we learn some real bottom-of-the-snapple-cap facts about moths. Mm. the remains
3: of various insects on a radiator grill, including three fresh specimens
1: of the Papapima moth. This is very exciting, Oh, we can hardly contain ourselves. The Papa Pima moth is found in only five counties in eastern Pennsylvania, near Hickory Run Park.
2: Uh, how many fucking bugs do they have to pick off of this shitty van till they found this unicorn?
4: <laughs> I mean, they're scraping the barrel here. I was like, really? That's where we're going? Okay, like a a, bu- a bug on the. I mean, I guess that's good detective work. It just seemed very surprising to me.
2: Yeah, what do you think came first, the the hunch about the moth or the hunch about Pennsylvania? Oh, if they're in that spot, I wonder if they have the, the super s- specific moth on them. Okay, so this is 1999,
5: yeah. right? Yeah. All I could think oh, is yeah. this. They totally stole this plot line from Silence uh-huh. of the Lambs because that's how they actually found, <sighs> oh, like, yeah. because the pupa moth could only have come from, like, one place. Oh. That's how they tracked down, like, where all the things are is because this very specific kind of moths could only be yes. from one place. Totally stolen plot point from Silence of the Lambs.
2: But, Suzanne, you know, there's, like... Inside that van, there's like a huge dried puddle of blood that they've overlooked because they've been scraping insects off of the windshield and then (laughs) looking at them under microscopes.
5: And the guy's so excited about it. He's like, this is the best part.
2: You think he's actually an insect expert? Like the New York Police Department Crime Lab insect expert has just been waiting around.
4: (laughs) He's like, it's me. Finally, it's me, it's me. It's me. I get. I get this one.
2: <laughs> he just kind of like walks around behind people, and he's like, "You got any insects in that one? <laughs> that car? <laughs> and you want no? How about that? any any like larvae in that body? No, you don't need me. Okay, <laughs> oh, I'll be. Oh gosh, I can't I even imagine. So Briscoe and Curtis go to this farm in Pennsylvania with the state police to arrest the 14.
3: Tell him Frank Shepard of the state police is here to execute a New York state arrest warrant for four juveniles. Their names are on the warrant.
2: But I got to say, I do not think that state trooper had a sufficient Philly accent. (laughs) So, Suzanne, uh, how should he have been making that arrest?
5: (laughs) (laughs) Should
4: have been like, no, no, oh, no, don't don't do it. Don't, don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. I don't think you should go there and get that body there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but
4: I was wait a second, t- guys. You missed ahead. my favorite part. this I feel like this should be the secondary title of this whole episode.
3: She'll probably be more talkative in person. In person? What, you sending us down for cheese steaks? If you bring me back some Scrapple.
4: <laughs> Only if you bring me back some Scrapple. Scrapple! Okay? I mean Anita. So with the scrapple, I just almost did a spit take with my drink. That, that when I saw that, I was like, "Did she just say scrapple with a smile?"
5: She did, yeah. and I, yeah. I very specifically like what I is scrapple. Okay, I'm scrapple New is New England, disgusting. So. Yeah. So my my stepdad, who grew up in Pennsylvania Dutch country, yeah, uh, used to make scrapple. It's basically like this loaf. Made of all of the trimmings of the pig that like you don't use in anything else, like the fat, like pieces of. You mean the not ears. even hot dogs? It's basically like a hot dog loaf made of pig pieces and like cornmeal. It is a weird ass. <laughs> yeah. But then you, but then you basically slice it and fry. Like it. you, like even like if you
4: have leftover vegetables, yeah. even or like leftover yeah. uh, like potatoes and things, you yeah. just kind of smush it all in there.
5: You make like a loaf and then you slice a yeah. piece of it and you fry it, eat it with eggs or whatever. It's actually kind of delicious. But the yeah. concept is quite disgusting.
2: Hey, that's <laughs> great.
4: <laughs> that was perfect.
2: All right. We have a couple of Hey, It's That guys. Hey, it's. That guy. Can you tell me the name of the actor playing young Nazi-turned-witness Peter Steinman? No. No. no, we never talked to him about her. But he always said you can't put up with no traitors, you gotta get rid of them. That's Joshua Harto. He's had bit parts in The Dark Knight and Bridge of Spies. He played Donald Fagan in Veronica Mars. But not Donald Fagan and Steely Dan. I was going
5: to say, was there a movie about Steely Dan that I missed? No.
2: I mean, if you're, if you're going to use somebody whose name is Fagan, why would you have Donald as the first name? It must have been a joke. There's only one other Fagan who is not in Oliver Twist.
4: Yeah. Right. And, I was going to say Oliver's pimp or something.
2: Yeah. Joshua has a Brazilian black-tailed monkey named Chad Billings. Hmm. I just wanted to say that. Yeah. that is doesn't sound like
5: a good idea for a pet, eh?
2: No? No. He keeps him in a, in a hollow <laughs> basketball. <laughs> How about our guy playing Detective Morris Lamont? Anyone recognize him?
3: I was told the guy records all his speeches. Derek Harlan and his pals might be on one of the tapes.
2: Yeah, no, but kind of. I don't know. No, <laughs> but kind of. That's Larry yeah. Clark. He was Cousin Ernie in the film In and Out. And then he's had dozens of bit parts in things like Twin Peaks and NCIS and The Bridge.
5: So he's a hey, it's that guy.
2: Yeah, this is what the segment is, yes, Rebecca. Yes, yes, I'm familiar. Like the first time, every goddamn Feels time. Feels like the first time. <laughs> well, Lamont ends up being a recurring character. Uh, he is replacing the uh, now incarcerated Profaci. Oh, Profaci.
3: <laughs> uh, so
2: Because they have to have somebody every to go time. get the LUDs. Yeah. Go get the LUDs. Yep. Did you catch who's playing the crime lab technician and insect fetishist? Harry Sorkin? No.
3: There weren't any fibers or fluids in the van we could trace back to the victim. I found some vegetative debris that could have come
2: from any city park. That actor's name is Brian Howe. He's had recurring roles on Chicago Fire, Vice Principals. You may remember him as Sheriff Pickett in Westworld. That is, for those who don't remember, the one where people can play fuck, kill, or fuck more robots in the Old (laughs) West.
4: Yes. Yes, family favorite.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's currently playing Kevin's dad in the TV series Kevin Can Fuck Himself, Yes, which around my house is called Laundry Day.
5: <laughs> <laughs> it's called Put the Duvet Cover on the Duvet Day.
2: Yeah, it feels like the first time every time. Oh, okay.
4: Everyone, <laughs> Kevin, everyone knows you got to get the corners first. Mm, yeah. The top corners. They I mean, get reason. twisted
2: inside. Yeah. Uh, we have a repeat offender. Repeat offender. There's Brian Garrity from Chicago PD playing teen skinhead Philip. Load of crap. Derek's my white brother. He was later on SVU as the guy who was intentionally giving women AIDS, then had acid thrown in his face and he had an eye patch, and he watched his grandfather commit suicide, <gasps> hoping it would make him Whoa. a better person. Yeah. And his grandfather was Jimmy Olsen from the original Superman TV you, show. You know what's
5: incredible? What? When I was looking at him in this episode, I was like, I know that little round face.
1: And just now from.
5: when you said that, I was able to picture that little round face with that eye patch and that acid burn. I'm like, that's where I know that little round face from. Incredible.
2: That's all this, what this segment is, Rebecca. I
5: know, but that was a really good one. <laughs> nice one.
2: We have a, hey, it's that girl.
5: Hey, it's that girl.
2: Did anyone recognize the actress playing Jessica. Yes. You did?
5: 100%, but I have no idea from where. Oh, my God. I was like, I know her. She's been in many things. I think she's been in other Law and Orders. I think that's what I probably know her from. Uh-huh. Oh, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, SVU? Was something. SVU, for sure.
2: Yeah, no, her name is Anna Belknap.
0: Christina was asking all kinds of questions about what we were doing. She said she was going to tell her dad. I told her, forget that. Told her she wanted to be our friend. She had to come out to the farm.
2: She would go on to play Detective Lindsay Monroe for nine seasons on CSI New York.
5: Never saw it. Oh.
2: It's because I have my note says since it was on CBS, Rebecca has never seen it.
5: <laughs> it's almost like CBS isn't available where we live. Yeah. I know it is. I just don't watch anything on it. Not on purpose.
2: Uh, I think CBS is starting to feel like it's on purpose. No,
5: it's not on purpose. There's just never been anything of note for me on that channel.
2: Yeah, I suppose. By the way, how old do you think she is in this episode? She's 27. I'm just going to say what? she's a teenager, oh. but she's 27 years old.
4: I thought, yeah, for sure. I thought maybe like 22, like out of college, you know, out of her acting school. Oh.
2: By the way, how old is Angie Harmon in this episode?
5: Twenty nine. She's twenty nine. She looks so young, so young. Like she looks like her skin just came out of the pod in this episode. I know, <laughs> I know. You're, you just want to be like, ah, like yeah. the Lindt chocolate wrapper was just unwrapped.
4: Oh
2: in this Oh my fucking god! She looks,
5: she looks shiny and new. Does she not?
0: She totally, does. She
2: totally,
4: does. like a little, like a little doll. I know. <laughs> and then, but that voice is the same. It's yeah. that really husky, like. Had too much whiskey. <laughs> love it. I just love it.
2: I love Me it. Me too. Uh, did you know the actress playing Miss Caldwell? Who's that? I forgot.
4: Who's Miss Derek's Caldwell. mom? No. No. Derek's- Who's
2: that? No.
5: Is that the dead girl's mom?
2: Uh no. Shit. <laughs> no. Who
5: was Miss <laughs> <laughs> <Ms>. Caldwell?
2: <laughs> yeah, I forgot to check who she was. Well, her name is uh, Welker White. <laughs>
5: Poor Ms. Caldwell.
2: If I I remember who she is, there'll be a sound clip right here. (laughs) I'm going to deny the motion, Ms. Caldwell.
0: There's more to it than a fake ID. Instead of following procedure and taking my client back to New York on the first available train, the police held them in Pennsylvania for three hours.
2: (laughs) If you watch Goodfellas, she was Lois, the superstitious drug smuggler who refused to go fly without her lucky hat. Uh Uh-huh. You don't remember that? Nope. Uh, She has nine Law & Order Universe appearances. So does her husband, actor Damien Young. They claim they have the most law and order appearances combined. Nah. I call it bullshit, but I didn't really care enough to go disprove it.
5: Okay, Mariska Hargate's husband, Peter Herman, is a law and order lawyer. So I think they have the most law and order appearances yeah. combined. Yeah.
2: Guest appearance. I, you know, I even think like Elizabeth Marvel and Bill Camp. Yes, I, but see, like I don't care. I'm not going to look it up.
0: <laughs>
3: I do not
2: care. I didn't care about Chad Billings the monkey. Get up, look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, do you recognize the woman playing Peter's mother? Peter, please
5: do
4: what they want. Oh, you mean when they're? She's like, just do it, Peter. To what yes. <laughs> yeah. Just listen to them, Peter.
2: That actress, her, her name is Neva Small. She played Hava in the movie Fiddler on the Roof.
5: Mm. Ironic. Huh. Iro- I mean, it's not really ironic. It's not really what irony Sing is. Sing Right, right.
2: Mm, matchmaker. <laughs> Come on, do it. She sang Matchmaker. She did, huh? Yeah, she's the one who falls in love with a Russian <laughs> uh, uh, Christian and is disowned by the family. Neva Small is married to Dr. Frederick Charles Finig. Married a doctor. Tevye would be so proud.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, there's this brief
2: scene in which Van Buren hands Lenny a report. Yes.
1: A mope that shot my daughter? DOA in the
3: East Village. Heroin overdose. Drug problem has an upside, huh, Lenny?
2: So a quick summary. Kathy Briscoe, uh, his daughter, was an addict who testified against... Danny Jones in a drug case there was a mistrial and while they were all out Jones shot her in the head but was never charged with it
5: she was my baby
3: Ray what am I gonna do
2: now in a later episode an informant offers to kill Jones if Briscoe will get rid of some evidence
3: Oh, Mallory's Snitch claims that the drug dealer Danny Jones put out the hit on my
1: daughter tell me something I don't know Hell, am I supposed to do?
2: Though, the audience, we never learn whether or not he actually went through with it. Rebecca, did he go through with it? No. You're sure?
5: I don't know. I just like to think he didn't, but if he did, I would still forgive him. Yeah? Yes. Even though it wouldn't be right if he did, you know? This really weirded me out, guys. This, like, Uh this super
4: weirded me out that Benjamin Bratt was just like, whatever, like, you know, the problems. S- solve problem something. Solved. Drug problem. Solve something.
5: <laughs> I'm telling you, Jerry Orbach is such a fine actor. Right?
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Fine piece of face acting in that
2: scene. I'll say. Yeah. yeah. Fine yeah. piece
5: of face acting.
2: Or uh, as Suzanne would call it, acting. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> but Suzanne,
5: you know what I'm talking about with face acting, right? Hundred percent.
2: When you, you mean, can do nothing
5: l- except face acting,
4: I mean, let's let's be real. I'm teaching at a university in an acting program and we're wearing masks. So like we are all about that there's all a lot of this happening. There's a lot of these
2: <laughs> the eyes, eyes smizing and <laughs> so the law side on Law and Order this episode gets pretty sassy. First we got McCoy telling Schiff that the Nazis killed a white girl and he says What's the matter? they run out of people to hate <laughs> <laughs> And then uh Briscoe tells them that they've got a lead on the choke chain that was found around the victim's neck.
1: They're supposed to get back to us with the name of their wholesaler in the Northeast. Then McCoy says,
2: Why don't you get back to them? Mm. When you think about it, it's a hell of a question. Yeah. Why are you guys yeah. just sitting around? You're the cops. Exactly.
5: You're sitting in my office waiting for me to give you a sandwich or something.
2: The motive for the murder seems pretty weak. It's that we're going to kill you because... You're going to tell your dad that we are Nazis. Yeah. Is that really a secret, Mr. Black Van with the Iron Cross and the Totenkopf on it?
5: I mean, you're literally making flyers that say you're Nazis. Yeah. At his shop.
2: Did you think you were deep undercover Nazis?
5: <laughs> yeah. Also, like, you have videos. You have, like,
4: video propaganda that you're s- serving up. Yeah. I mean, what?
2: You have a newsletter. <laughs>
4: Yeah. And a newsletter, it's not an
2: email. You have to like get stamps. They have a
5: clubhouse.
2: They <laughs> have a clubhouse. Yeah. No. Don't tell anybody.
5: Did they have it wrong? Like she wasn't going to tell. Like she just wanted to hang out with them.
2: Yeah. At some point, she, the light went on. <laughs> it's like, oh. at some point, like when they're all reading Mein Kampf. Together, she said, "You know, I, I'm starting to think something's not right about these guys." The
5: light didn't ah. go on when the guy was like heart, like hor- horribly violent, and uh, wore literally like wore a Hitler Youth t shirt. The light didn't
3: go on then.
2: Yeah, it took a while. <laughs> yeah. So they're talking about sending in a cop undercover to a white power event.
3: I want a cop with him to witness the statement.
2: I'm cool with that. Oh. Not you, Pancho,
3: or the soul sister. Yeah, hey, I wasn't going to volunteer anyway.
4: And we all cringed, right? Like, we all kind of went, oh.
2: So, so Van Buren gets up. She walks out of the office, and she starts looking around this, the place, and she's like, who in this squad is the most Aryan-looking Lamotte? <laughs> mother- come here. See this doughy, pasty, blonde-headed doofus? Send him in as your Nazi. <laughs> See this
5: redneck we got working in the squad room?
2: <laughs> He's like, oh, I thought I was just going to go get the LUDs. <laughs>
5: yeah.
2: <laughs> Have you heard? Sling TV offers the
3: news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me but for less money. A lot less I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer.
0: Sling. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle.
4: Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.
2: All right, now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. McCoy and Carmichael don't know how to link Willis to the murder and the case against Derek he has some problems.
3: By the way, how is that murder case? We have the Cho chain purchased by Harlan's girlfriend. Inconclusive. She bought a chain, not the chain. We have Harlan's
2: admission to his girlfriend. Very conclusive. From a witness whose credibility is unassailable? Not out of the woods yet. The prosecutors try to get Peter Simmons to cooperate again. And all it took was a slap on the back of the head from his father to get him to do it. Yeah. He tells him mm-hmm. that Willis didn't know about Christina, but he had been telling them to stomp out traitors to the white race, among others. McCoy says that it makes Willis criminally responsible for the murder, and they charge him as an accomplice. What follows are several rot disputations on the First Amendment. One with Abby, one with the judge, one with Schiff, another one with Abby, one with Willis, one with the hot dog guy, if they had more time. (laughs) And at trial, Willis says, well, I'm just an educator. I didn't instruct those kids to kill, and my discussions on preparing for a racial holy war are protected speech. In his closing argument, McCoy tells the jury the First Amendment was not intended to protect incitement, and Willis knew that his followers would someday be violent. The jury convicts Derek for first degree murder and Willis for second degree murder. Even though shift outs, the conviction will stand up on appeal. Well, this is why every juvenile should have their parents in the interrogation room. Smack, shut up and tell them what you know. The best. I don't know. My Aryan brothers are. Shut up with that crap. My old man took a
3: bullet fighting the Nazis. I'll be damned if his grandson is going to stand up for that garbage.
2: There'd be no crime ever. Okay. Upside so this... the head. <laughs> yes. Mom will bring her wooden spoon. She'll yes. make you talk.
5: So this is what you want, right? And this is something we do not see enough of in 2021. What's that? A dad, a white dad, telling his white kid knock it the fuck off with your Nazi bullshit. kid. <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. yes. My dad shot Nazis and he did not want he, your grandfather would be ashamed. He took yes.
4: Amen. I agree. I agree. I, I don't know what's happened. There's an interesting like entitlement and like people just sort of like, let them go. Like, this is just what we're going to do. We're just going to do whatever we want. And I'm like, no, there's sometimes there's rules. Like yeah. let's get in here and you know.
2: Sometimes you need to get slap upside the head. You
4: need a slap yeah. on the head, yeah, yeah, upside upside the head,
2: upside the head, absolutely. Yeah. By the way, I think yeah. upside is the only thing you can use. No one gets up get hit upside the rear end.
5: No, it's always up the upside
4: head. the head. It's Always the head.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's it's yeah. Always yeah, it's the, like a you
4: know. There's like an upward motion. It's like a. Oof,
5: you know? Yeah, you know. We hear Abby Carmichael say she's ordering out for barbecue. I'm
3: ordering barbecue. You in? Thanks. No.
5: Um, Any chance that Angie Harmon, like, ever eats barbecue in real life? No. No. Not in years. But if you're in
4: Houston, I can tell you the best... Barbecue, place to go
2: to. (laughs) Only if you say it with a Houston accent.
4: (laughs) Y'all need to go to Strack Farms. It's (laughs) real good. Y'all get a chicken fried steak in. I'm trying to be like, you know, in the smoky voice but it's yeah it's not it's not as
2: good it's
4: not as good how she does it
3: yeah
2: so uh the second half has a series of argumentations on the limits of the first amendment
3: you think what willis did is protected speech i nearly resigned from the aclu when they defended that racist march in skokie nearly i never joined the aclu but I still think what you're doing is dangerous. Holding an extreme racist liable for a crime he inspired, maybe you think he has the right to yell fire in a crowded theater. I can quote Oliver Wendell Holmes, too. The ultimate good is better reached by free trade and ideas. The government
2: shouldn't interfere. What do you think, Suzanne? Is is that speech protected in this fictional universe?
4: Uh, guys, you're asking me a loaded question here, you know? I mean. Okay,
2: then I'll ask Rebecca first. Yeah, and then you can this is give hate a better speech th- is
5: protected. The answer is yes. I hate to say it, but the answer is yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Sorry, it is. If he had been right with the kids right before the thing, and it said, "Hey guys, go get her," that's not what he did. He didn't mm-hmm. do that. And I hate Nazis, but you are allowed to be one, even if you shouldn't be one, and it is horribly wrong. You should right? be called a hate group by the Southern yeah. Poverty Law Center and all that shit what you actually say is protected. I don't know. There's this line that I'm not, and I
4: I, I don't want to cross the line here, but I, I feel like, you know, when McCoy read that, he like sort of read it word for word or like read what they wrote.
3: No danger flowing from speech can be deemed clear and present unless... The incidence of the evil apprehended is so imminent that it may befall before there is opportunity for full discussion. If there be time to expose the evil by the processes of education.
4: I kind of agreed with it. I mean, I kind of was like, right, but if it's
5: causing violence, but I don't know. I don't know. There's a difference between what you say and the consequences of what you say. And that's what he's talking about. And that's where the debate changes.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't know if I agree. I think in his closing argument, McCoy did sum it up very well.
3: The First Amendment protects words that persuade. It doesn't protect words that incite.
2: And then he said, that's what Mr. Willis did. That's why it's called murder. That's why they call it murder.
0: <laughs> <'Cause>
2: that, <laughs> Wouldn't make any he, sense? He should use that at every trial, yeah. right? Hit him on the head with a cinder block. Yeah. That's why they call it murder. Yeah. Law and order has always been, you know, the first half is always murder mystery and the second half is moral mystery. Yeah. It challenged the audience in 1999 to think about these things through the frame of hate speech. Yep. Now, as a viewer... I have to ask you too, how comfortable were you with watching a TV episode from nineteen ninety nine where fictional racists use racist language?
4: Um I was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable hearing racist slurs and language. Um and I as an actor, I know what it's like to have to do that. Like this is your job, you're getting paid, and I could see it in that was it Peter, right? It's Peter. In his eyes, when he says all of those slurs, there's a kind of like little twitch that's happening with his lip. But it's not like a, you know, when you you've studied acting way too long and stuff and you can like notice when something is an ism and when something is like real part of your character. I Mm -hmm. was like, no, that's a I don't like that. I have to say this kind of reaction. And you could tell you could just tell that this was just not. Yeah. What he wanted coming out of his mouth. It's tough.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like I didn't think it was necessary to advance the plot. And I um, think that I really didn't. And I do think that there is enough power in those words and they are actually violent enough that I do think the writers today and the reason they wouldn't be used, I think, on primetime TV today is that. People are now cognizant of the pain that those words inflict in and of themselves Yeah, that they actually are traumatic for viewers to experience. So I don't think that they're appropriate.
2: Yeah, I think what has changed is what we consider to be an obscenity. Mm. The word goddamn used to be considered an obscenity and fuck used to be an obscenity. What had been slurs, those today are obscenities. Those are things that it's obscene to use that word now. I think it's, you know, that's, that's good, but that's how language changes and our perceptions of things like that.
5: I think we acknowledge now that they actually hurt people in a way that we didn't before. Yeah. 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 I, I think, but I have a question for you guys
4: because I'm not comparing this exactly, but, um, for me, yes, it, it was, it's like, uh, I am a white woman and, um, and yet it is shocking and traumatizing to hear those words on tv prime time but i would say i like i also have an issue with seeing rape like i like watching Mm -hmm. like if there's any kind of rape or even like you know getting a rape kit or like seeing like those kinds of scenes and things are really it's hard it's just really triggering and hard and i don't know i don't have like a, a complete answer but I think there is it's hard when you want to depict what is actually happening within the culture. And then yet also knowing that you're having to show this between 6 and 9 p.m. on a Thursday night. (laughs)
5: Yep, It's complicated.
2: Uh, There is a coda in this episode and the final card after the show ends. It says that this episode was dedicated to U.S. attorney Charles Rose. He made the world a safer place. Uh, so he was the late U.S. attorney, Charlie Rose, who took down the New York Mafia, not the CBS anchor, Charlie Rose, who took down his pants in front of his female producers. <laughs> oh God.
0: Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money, which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit sling.com to see your offer.
4: Sling.
2: All right, let's take a look at the real life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip from the Headlines.
3: You think you know who did it? You don't know who did it. You don't know who
2: did it.
1: Rip from the
2: headlines.
1: This episode is inspired by the murder of Mulugeta Surah in November 1988. The Ethiopian man was attending university in Portland, Oregon. Mulugeta had just been dropped off by friends in front of his apartment when a car full of skinheads pulled up. Three members of the East Side White Pride Group pummeled Mulugeta and his friend with baseball bats. He was struck so hard, the bat split. The skinheads left them bleeding on the sidewalk. The 28-year-old died the next day. Police tracked down the trio who admitted the crime was racially motivated. The beating was widely condemned, but the head of the White Aryan Resistance, Tom Metzger, said the men had done a civic duty killing the Ethiopian student. Moolageta's family then sued Metzger and White Aryan Resistance, arguing the group had instructed their followers to commit violence. The jury ruled Metzger was civilly responsible for the death under the doctrine of vicarious liability, and they awarded the family $12.5 million. The judgment bankrupted Metzger and drained the bank account of his white power organization.
2: There was a rally in protest of Muligeta's killing. They had 150 police officers on the scene. That was essentially one for every 10 people attending it was noted it was the biggest contingent of police in Portland since a 1957 concert by Elvis Presley. Mm. And what? I've checked wow. the news. There have been bigger turnouts in Portland as of late.
5: Yeah. Well, this is part of the a history of racial violence in Portland, right? This yes, This is part it is. of the legacy of it. And this is part of the problem, right? Because the police in Portland have a history of saying this is a two-sided issue and not just like a white supremacy issue, which it is. Not two sided. It's a white supremacy issue. Long history of that in Portland.
2: Yes. Yeah. 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 Look, in 1980, Tom Metzger won the Democratic nomination for California's 43rd congressional district by fewer than 400 votes. Uh. The party disowned their nominee and endorsed the Republican candidate instead, who wanted a landslide. I guess it was easier back then just to say, hey, looks like we might have elected a nut job and the country is probably better off with somebody else. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> to hell
2: with party. Let's just do the right thing.
4: You just know.
2: saying. Yeah.
5: History repeats what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Suzanne's comfortably living in Canada.
0: <laughs> yeah.
5: Oh, <We're> Canada. Gonna...
4: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Mm -hmm. Metzger was quoted as saying he would go to Congress and get into a fistfight every day, which could actually happen now. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Tom Metzger thought it would be a wise decision to represent himself at trial.
5: Mm, Always a good idea.
2: Uh, And it should come as no surprise (laughs) that it was not. Yeah. Uh, One of his first decisions was to ask for a new judge because he believed the current one he had was Jewish.
4: (laughs) Oh, my goodness.
2: So he did. He agreed to switch to the Honorable Answer L. Haggerty, who he later found out was black.
4: Oh,
5: Jesus Christ.
2: That stings.
3: Oh,
5: oh, I suppose
3: My if you're gosh.
5: a Nazi,
2: it does. I suppose if you're a Nazi, it does. Yeah. Uh. Look, other notes of his life Metzger was on the Geraldo Rivera show when uh, he got his nose broken by a flying chair. Mm. He was part of that mm-hmm. melee. So I guess he's not all bad. He's not? Well, I mean, if he, brought, if he breaks Geraldo Rivera's nose, oh, I'll be like. Oh,
5: he broke Geraldo Rivera's nose. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got All right. it. Got it. Got it. Got All it.
2: Right. So, in order to pay some of the settlement, Metzger was forced to sell his home to a Latino family, which the lawyer said was poetic justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, he died November fourth, two thousand twenty, of Parkinson's disease. One of his last, but the last profiles written about him, talked about his love of karaoke.
5: Jesus Christ! Oh goodness! What do you think I, his
2: go-to song was? <laughs> Okay, I'll tell you.
5: Eh.
4: On a prayer. <laughs> <laughs>
2: he sang, he liked to sing Bad to the Bone. Okay, okay.
4: that makes sense. But he,
2: ch- mm-hmm. he changed the lyric. He said, From the day I was born, the nurses all gathered round to look at the white wonder.
5: No. Yeah,
2: the joy that I'd found. Yes. Oh, my God. No. Yeah.
5: Metzger. Jesus Christ.
2: Maybe it was like, you know, in the end, the hate you take. Is equal it's to it's the, the hate, hate you, you make. make. Yeah. yeah. Oh
5: my God. Uh
2: That's gonna do it for us. We want to thank Oof. our guest Suzanne Soretta. Suzanne, where can our listeners follow you online?
5: Oh, thank you. I,
4: I'm a I'm an Instagram person at Suzanne Soretta on Instagram and the Accent Guru also on Instagram. Yeah.
2: Rebecca's going right now to make sure she's following. You. Absolutely. <laughs> Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you?
5: Reb Lavoy on both Twitter and Instagram.
2: And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freider. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoy. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law and Order Marathon winner. These are Their Stories was recorded in the Yoga Loft above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media.
1: In, in crime, crime media, media.